Everybody, welcome to the Deadhead Cannabis Show. Jim Marty reporting from very warm 90 degree Longmont, Colorado. I'm out in my barn. It's a warm afternoon in Colorado, and I've got my partner up in Illinois, Larry Mishkin. Larry, how are things up in the greater Chicago land? Yes, Jim. Been in the news. Um, very nice to hear from you. Uh, things are well here in Chicago. The weather is uh, warm and humid, just like we expect it to be this time of year. So at least it's nice to have some normalcy involved. Uh, and once again, uh, uh, I have to express my envy that you're broadcasting from the barn and I'm sitting in my office in Northbrook. Uh, and I can assure all of our listeners that as nice as my office is in Northbrook, there's nothing like broadcasting from the barn. Oh, thank you very much. Yep, I was a member today, had a site visit to a cultivation extraction business that I think is going to hire Bridge West, so I had a good good day in business. Excellent. Um, Colorado might be getting somewhat back to normal in, in that I had very heavy traffic coming all the way from Denver today, almost like pre-COVID times, yep. a lot of traffic. A lot of trucks on the road, really slowing things down. Yep, and we've had, we've seen the return of that here, which um, is uh, the unfortunate part of coming out of the COVID crisis. Is for the last few months, it's just been lovely. On the rare occasion that I needed to go to downtown Chicago, I could literally hop in my car and just fly down there, which is unheard of in the Chicago metropolitan area. Um, and then the other day when I had to go back down there, once again, I, I got reminded of the uh, realities of traffic uh, throughout this part of the world, which can be pretty brutal. So, you know, that that's the downside of the recovery if there is one. So, um, yeah, we got lots to talk about today. Lots of uh, marijuana companies in the news. Um, lots of politics going on. We've got lots of social unrest around the country. We've got the COVID virus that seems to never want to go right. away. We have um, election in November, not just for the presidency, but the the House and the yep. Senate uh, both could possibly change hands. You know, who knows whether it'll go Democrat or Republican. Um, I think everything is very much up in the air as we sit here in the wane, waning days of July. Well, I would agree with that. And um, it's too bad uh, that we don't have him on our show today, but I will quote Bob Hoban, who the last time I was out in Colorado and found myself engaged in a political discussion with him, said at the end of the day, his, his mantra is 50-50. He said, you take most issues in this country <laughs> and most of the issues in this country come down around 50-50. And his point was, if either party would win the presidential election with 53 or 54 percent of the vote, we'd say, oh, my goodness, it's a landslide given how balanced things typically turn out to be. And the truth is that uh, although I know it for, certainly for some people, it can be uh, painful to hear viewpoints expressed that aren't necessarily uh, those of your own. But on the other hand, uh, I find it kind of comforting to think that we live in a country where uh, even if I don't agree with somebody else's opinion, I know that I'm not really in the minority myself either. We kind of balance each other out. And 
you know, hopefully at the end of the day, uh, agree on those things that are important and good for all of us. Yes, that's very important that you're, you people my age and your age as baby boomers pass on the right to be wrong to our children. Um, you know, right now there seems to be a lot of people, and I would say principally on the left, who want to silence any kind of opposition on the right. And um, as I would say, um, it's okay to disagree, you just can't be disagreeable. And well, I think people are being a lot more than just disagreeable right now. Well, I think you're absolutely right about that, Jim. You know, the, the hallmark of this country on either side is that if you don't listen to what the other side says, then what are you really protesting for or really trying to support? You know, whether you're on the right. Black Lives Matter side, whether you're on the law and order side, whether you're on the right or on the left, the whole thing that's always made this country great is that we do listen to what everybody says. And and one of the famous lines is that I will defend to my death the right for you to say that which with, with which I wholeheartedly disagree. And that's really where this country needs to be. You don't have to agree with all the words being said out there, but we can't just tune them out because we don't like what the person is saying. That's right. Everybody, as I said, has the right to be wrong. That's so, very true. The politics, I had a political interview this week. Yeah, tell us about that. Our, our Colorado Leads Group, uh, which is a political action committee of the leaders of the campus industry in Colorado, which I've been a proud member for several years. We are nonpartisan. We really have one issue, and that is safe and legal cannabis and the preservation of the industry that we have built to a $2 billion a year industry here in Colorado. And we had a guest on a Zoom call, uh, former Denver mayor, former governor, and former bar owner, John Hinkenloop. <laughs> I didn't know he was a bar owner. That's funny. Yeah, and he was very good. He made himself available for a full half hour. Uh, we asked him a full range of questions that he didn't shy away from. Good. Um, but the most surprising thing to me was that he's, he's running as the Democratic opponent to Cory Gardner. He's sure. trying to Senator Cory Gardner, for our audience who may not be familiar with Colorado politics. And so it's for the U.S. Senate that he's running. And um, very interesting. He's, uh, he started out by saying, listen, I, I really need to, you know, apologize to your group. Um, I want to get some uh, dirty laundry out right away that when I was the governor in 2012, I vetoed several marijuana legalization bills. And so because I was afraid of underage use and uh, DUI, uh, driving while high. He says, but the statistics have borne this out and I'm all on your guys' side. Okay, a convert. Um, yes, but a fairly uneducated convert in mm -hmm. my opinion. Yeah. Because one of the first, the second thing he said was, I'm for descheduling marijuana. And the whole group on the Zoom call at once went, oh no, we don't want descheduling as an industry because if it is not on schedule any schedule at all then it's like aspirin and now you've got big pharma big tobacco big alcohol um not to mention which federal agency will knock on your door first so what we support is a, the state's rights act put on by uh cory gardner on the uh, republican side elizabeth warren on the democratic side co-sponsors they have probably three or four, excuse me, dozen co-sponsors in the Senate. And what that bill would do, it would leave marijuana alone at the federal level, but 
put into law that the states can regulate marijuana as they please. So it would stay pretty much as it looks today. There wouldn't be a lot of cross-border um, sales of marijuana. There wouldn't be shipments of edibles and uh, other cannabis products between Denver and Chicago. Every state would stand on its own. And it would protect the industry that we built up over the last 10 years. So that might seem a little bit self-serving, but um, we think that we've built a fine industry. We think we have very good stats on, again, um, DUI um, not being a problem, underage use actually going down, making it actually harder for underage kids to get a hold of marijuana and marijuana products. So <laughs> anyway, that's my political two bits for this week. Well, that's okay. It's a good political two bits. And, you know, it's important to stay in touch with what's going on with the local politicians, I think, and what they know and what they don't know. And especially this issue that you're talking about, I think that there's a very common perception out there that everybody in the industry is is, is sitting around breathlessly waiting for marijuana to be taken off of uh, the controlled schedules. But as you point out, uh, you have to really be careful what you wish for. We saw that with hemp, certainly, when they legalized hemp. And the next day, the FDA stepped in and said, guess what? We've never approved uh, CBD infused food items. And now we have jurisdiction over this because it's legal and we could wind up with the same thing with marijuana. And you're absolutely right. The state's rights act is really a great solution for the industry because it does keep it federally illegal, which hopefully keeps out big pharma and some of the larger players while at the same time on a state level, allowing those people in the industry to get banking services, to uh, yeah. be able to do those kind of things that they couldn't otherwise do before because they were struggling with Schedule 1. And, you know, listen, if we could get that State's Rights Act up and, and, and get a vote on that, I think that would be a wonderful thing. You know, once again, I, I recognize there's a lot going on in the country right now, and that's probably not everybody's top priority. Um, but certainly if they could find a way to, to get that into the uh, schedule here, um, it could only benefit everyone. As you and I have talked about, this is not a uh, – a partisan issue. We have uh, guys like Cory Gardner and other Republicans who are very, very strongly in favor of it uh, because they see the value uh, that it's brought to their home states. And um, right. I think it's just a matter of, you know, we got to get people's attention and, and let them know how important it is. And just to close this little segment, in terms of terminology, I believe they've actually renamed the bill the States Act because the States Rights Act sounded a little bit too uh, pre-Civil War South. <laughs> No, I so, get that. And I think you're right. I think it is called the calling States, it Act. The States Act. Yep. But speaking of definitions, and this is something I'll be working on as we head into the election cycle, mm -hmm. we really educate our politicians on what some of these terms mean. Right. You know, what does legalization mean versus decriminalization versus descheduling? Um, like I said, the politicians, they may want to help us, but they may end up hurting us because they don't understand what these terms mean. We were absolutely right, Jim, and where we see a lot of that these days is with hemp, because because of the terminology being flung around so loosely and people not necessarily taking the time to figure out what it means, we still have a lot of people who say, well, it's cannabis, so it's illegal. And we come back and we say, mm -hmm. no, some cannabis is legal, hemp, some cannabis is not legal, marijuana. But until you understand uh, the difference is there. We run into situations where the police confiscate the products and they say it's cannabis. It tested positive for THC. And then we have to take the time to explain the different types of cannabis and the rules on how much THC can or cannot be allowed to make it industrial hemp. Uh, so I couldn't agree with you more that normalizing it, making the terms known and getting people to understand uh, what we're talking about when we describe these various types of cannabis products will, will help the industry go a long way. 
Very good. Well, uh, I want to leave a little time for music, but we have a couple of um, headlines in the news this week. Larry, I'll let you digress on some of the things that have crossed your computer screen this week. Yeah, it, it's uh, the thing that really caught me, Jim, is that, you know, as I'm looking through some of the articles, and once again, let me just give an unsolicited plug to Marijuana Business Daily and their excellent staff who assemble these stories and, and keep everyone uh, so well informed on what's going on in the industry. Um, but the stories that I see, on the one hand, I find to be uh, very heartening because they suggest that our industry is really becoming an industry. And we're starting to see some of the issues uh, that other industries have seen. On the other hand, it's a little disheartening um, because it's, 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 it's sad to see some of this, uh, uh, the way it plays out. And, and we'd like to think that the industry uh, is far beyond that. So, for instance, in Nevada, one of the top stories going around right now is that a, a group called CW Nevada was just stripped of 14 of their Nevada uh, marijuana licenses due to over 21 violations of state law. They now have to pay a $1.2 million fine. They've had six of their licenses revoked, and they have to sell their eight other licenses. Uh, CW Nevada ran canopy dispensaries in Las Vegas, uh, a very well-known outfit that was doing very well. This is really big, Jim. Th that's a lot of licenses for any group to use. And my first question is, how can you get a company like CW Nevada that's obviously built itself up, was very successful in getting licenses, they're a real player in the marijuana industry, and then 21 violations of state law? Is that intentional? Is it just sloppy bookkeeping? I mean, really, at this stage, things like this shouldn't be happening. Right, right. Well, you know, that's a lot of areas where we work is, you know, proper bookkeeping. But also what the state is very interested in is diversion. Yes. So if you don't have the proper cameras and monitoring of the cameras to keep your employees from taking things out the back door, that's a big area where people get in trouble. And the state is very interested in not having legal marijuana companies divert things. And it's not going to be the owners who have millions of dollars invested. It's going to be your $14 an hour, you know, 20-year-old. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, and I think that that's a great point, which is we can't expect every employee of every single company to, to always toe the line. We know that's not practical. And we have to be very careful about coming down on the owners for the transgressions of certain employees. However, 21 violations is, you know, somewhere along the way, you have to kind of stop and take notice. And, you know, we've always talked about that that's one of the problems with expanding too fast in this industry. Uh, it, there's an article here on MedMen that we may get to, but I think MedMen has run into this same problem as well, which is the faster you expand, the harder it is to ensure that every one of your operations is complying with local regulations. Right, right. Yeah, I, was, I had a conversation today with a publicly traded multi-state operator who will go unnamed. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, one, I said, what are the advantages and disadvantages of being publicly traded as a marijuana company? And they said, well, they said, we have to build our internal controls and be able to prove to the public company oversight board and all the scrutiny that public companies get that we have built an accounting system that does prevent, to the extent reasonably possible, diversion of either product or cash, that the books can be relied upon to be accurate, that they've been audited, 
by a very <coughs> high-level CPA firm. And so for the publicly traded MSUs, I, I would recommend that um, your smaller privately held operators really look at what they've done and look at how they have to comply and how they have to build their accounting systems and their internal controls. And maybe that will keep you from being in a headline someday. Well, I think that's true. And I think, you know, unfortunately, to some degree, that there's a little bit of hubris involved, right? And that some of these companies get big enough that they really start to believe uh, that they are the industry and that, you know, what they do is okay uh, all the way around. And unfortunately, uh, that's just not the case. You know, it's it, the, the industry, as I tell all my clients, is difficult enough and regulated enough that this isn't an industry where you can cut corners and play games right up to the line. You really have to be careful uh, because the penalty for going over the line can be so severe. Um, and so it just always strikes me as a little bit strange when I see larger companies that presumably have uh, regulatory control people and risk management people and all sorts of people who should be in place monitoring all of this. Um, and it, it it's just very unfortunate uh, it, 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 for no other reason because it just doesn't look good for the industry, especially when you have a larger player like that. And you know, then I, I, I turn the page and I see that in Oklahoma, uh, that a processing group there was hit with a half a million dollar fine, $541,000 for pesticide violations. And look, I'm not a cultivator and I've never grown marijuana. So, you know, I might not be the right person to talk about this, but this doesn't seem like rocket science to me, Jim. Everybody knows you got to keep pesticides out. All your marijuana has to be tested. And so, you know, if you, what does this mean? That they had a, a bug problem that they couldn't control? Uh, did they develop a sense that we can get away with it and nobody will enforce this? Uh, I, I just don't understand what compels people to take these steps knowing that they're really putting their neck out there. Yes. Well, you say Oklahoma. You know, Oklahoma is only, what, a two-year-old um, operating market? Yep. It's only had operations for two years. You know, most of these people have never grown marijuana before. Most of these people have never grown anything right. before. So it's easy. Um, I guess I can use the Grateful Dead Bob Weir <laughs> line. It's slip. Yes. Um, I, I would agree. It's, uh, it, it's just very surprising to me. And, uh, you know, but look, again, as we say at the beginning, uh, it's just a statement of the fact that we do have an industry that is here and that is large enough that uh, it does undergo the type of regulation that other industries undergo. And I suppose in that respect, we should be grateful uh, that there are government groups out there, at least that are keeping an eye on these things and not letting them get too far afield uh, to the point where they might actually damage the industry. Right. You have lots of, uh, lots of traps for the unwary, that's for sure. And that's what you and I do for a living is to try to help these businesses get set up uh, so they are self-policed and don't get themselves in trouble. But even the best-run companies can have problems. So um, yep. keeps, I guess, that keeps us busy helping our clients. It does. Um, now, I, I noticed that I've got a few more topics, but I also am taking a look at the time, and I know we have some music that we want to talk about today. So I'm thinking yep. maybe we'll save some of these other topics uh, on the marijuana side for next week uh, so we can talk about music for a few minutes right. before we have to. Uh, Let's do that because yeah. maybe um, we'll be able to find a little more detail of what they did wrong and how it was resolved. Exactly. And if the company was able to problem, stay in business. Yep. But yeah, we, we have some music. Um, as you know, I've mentioned many times, our son Jack is in a 
a band in Denver called Swerve, mm-hmm. and they are um, actually talking about doing some shows in September. Fantastic. So let's have live music again. I'll give a little plug for Coyotes on Colfax. Uh, nice. Great bar um, on Colfax Avenue in Denver. So uh, hopefully um, we'll have live music again soon. Yeah, we all really need it. And uh, I found myself uh, chatting with our producer, Dan Humiston, right at the outset of the show. Uh, and, and one of the things that we were both kind of talking about and and lamenting is, is, is really kind of the, the, the underside of the, the impact that COVID has had on the music industry. It's one thing to say, oh, dead and company, you know, they, they can't tour, Fish can't tour. But these are well-established bands with well-established fan bases. And although it's inconvenient for their fans to not be able to go and see them, and it, it, sure, it's inconvenient for the bands to not be able to go out and generate some income, you know, they're, they're, they're big enough that they're going to ultimately survive this. They can do their uh, video shows. They can put out new albums. They can do whatever they want. But what about the new bands? What about bands that are just coming onto the scene now that, that, that rely on a whole summer of touring to really build up a fan base uh, that, that need those ticket sales and that merchandise sales to, uh, to have enough uh, financial uh, uh, ability to stay afloat and to get from uh, one show to another. But, you know, how do you develop a fan base? I mean, look, we, we sit around and talk about the deadheads all day long, but I think it's indisputable that what made the deadheads the deadheads is that they all went to live shows, many, many, many live shows over and over and over again to the point where they developed this whole community. And in the absence of live shows, we're, we're kind of deprived of that opportunity. And I think that there's a real question as to, you know, the more this virus lingers around, how much more harmful or, or possibly permanent can this damage become? Yes. <clears throat> um, one of the first to get shut down and probably the last to reopen <clears throat> is the entertainment yep. industry. Um, a lot of the economy is back now. Uh, bars and restaurants are doing okay. Not great, but they're making an effort to survive. Mm-hmm. But you know, not just you know um, live music, which is I miss sorely. I was in Commerce City today do, at a site visit to a cultivator, and I said, "Yeah, I've got lots of fond memories of Commerce City. I've seen over a hundred hours of live fish shows right down the street at the oh, Dick's sure. Arena Soccer Arena. Um, miss it to death." Um, so yeah, probably the first to shut down and the last to reopen is going to be travel and entertainment. It is. And, and, and it's really too bad. And I, you know, it, it makes me wonder, uh, is the next grateful dead or fish sitting out there trying to get their start and trying to get that fan base developed, uh, but find themselves in quicksand because they, all of a sudden they're deprived of an opportunity, uh, to really go do that. And I, I guess, uh, you know, to some degree, there's no way to ever really know for sure. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, as we move forward, uh, and some of these bars do reopen bands like your son's band and, uh, you know, some other new bands on the circuit that are really trying to you know, get a name for themselves. will have a chance to get out there and introduce themselves to us. That's right. Um, you know, certainly one of the things we've learned about this stubborn virus that seems to refuse to go away is being shoulder to shoulder with several, several hundred people. <laughs> Not a great idea, right? Yeah, it that I mean, it, and that's the unfortunate part, right? I listen to and I listen to Live Dead, and the, the listening to Live Dead, the best part always, or Live Fish, is you get that crowd reaction, and as that yeah. crowd reaction just pours over you, that's I think for a lot of us, what gets us back out there. You can listen to music anywhere, but it's being part of that energy right. and being part of all. And when you take that away, 
what does it do to the music? And that's that's really the unfortunate part that we're that we're really missing out. And I and I I personally I miss the high that you get from being there in a crowd of people like you know you and I are, are always fond of talking about at the uh, first fair the well show. I think it was the second song when they ripped into Jack Straw and, you know, they brought the entire house down. We were we were two songs into a three day music festival and they had won over the entire crowd at that point. It was just a tremendous moment. And you can listen to it on the CD. And if you were there, you can remember how it felt. But if you weren't there, you missed that notion of all of a sudden the whole stadium was just on its feet, electric. as They sang that song. Yep. I was there, too. And it. I refer to it as an electric ripple went through a stadium of 60,000 people. That's a great way to say it. And that's exactly what happened you know, for, for anybody who was sitting there wondering, you know, what's this going to be like? Is this going to be the real deal? I, I would say that by the time they got done playing Jack straw, if you weren't convinced, then you should just pack it up and go home at that point. Right. Yeah. Tuning it into what you're saying is a good story from a, one of my best friend, Miles, we saw a show in the early 90s in Denver where the dead had come to Denver in between Thanksgiving and Christmas three or four years in a row for multi-night runs. Mm -hmm. And the morning after a show, he says to me, Jim, you know, there was moments last night when the band and the audience and the music, we were all on the same page. <laughs> That's true. That's, it's, it's amazing when, when all of a sudden you sit there and you, in fact, I was just thinking about that the other day was uh, one of the, um, one of the years at 92, I think out at the Sam Boyd silver bowl. It was the year that they played with Steve Miller and uh, we were sitting there the last night. And as they played through the second set and started to come out of space, I believe it was into the other one. And, you know, three of us all turned to each other and we're like, oh, my God, they're about to do the other one into morning dew into sugar magnolia mm -hmm. into tomorrow never knows into Baba O'Reilly. And they did. And, and when I try to explain to people, you know, but doesn't that take all the joy of it? No, that means that I'm so tuned into them that at that moment I could see where they were going. I knew yep. I could. maybe I was going to be wrong, but, you know, three or four of us, you just you, you know, after you've seen them and you learn, you develop that feeling, you can you can feel the moment and almost not always, which is why we keep going back, but almost predict where Jerry might go next. Ah, uh, yes, the old Silver Bowl shows. We've talked about them many times on this broadcast. We have. Do you remember the thermometer that was right above Jerry that said like 100 degrees at midnight? I do. I do. They were troopers. They were out there. It was hotter than hell. And those guys were out there cranking away their sets like nobody's business. I, you know, we were yeah. we were starting to drop in the stands. It was so hot, of course. You know, we had been out there for hours getting ready in advance. But uh, that was always the thing about these guys. You know, and even still to this day, it, it's not easy to stand up on stage for three and a half hours in the blazing sun and play rock and roll. It's just not. And, you know, for yeah. everybody talks about what bad shape Jerry was in. And I almost beg to differ. I mean, for, for a guy who was quote unquote out of shape, he was in tremendous musical shape to be able to stand up there and, and do it for as long as he did. We see it now. Phil's 80 years old and he's not doing shows these days because of COVID, but right up until that he was doing the same thing. And, you just get the sense that for them, you know, the music is like the fountain of youth. You know, they can just go back to that music and instantly it, it takes them back. Yep. Very good. Hey, we have a few minutes left. Um, so let's touch on the uh, dead Nike collaboration. Yes. We've got some news on that. Yes. That's uh boy, just when you think you've seen everything in the world, right? Jerry Garcia, neckties and Ben and Jerry's ice cream flavors for 
all of a sudden, here comes Nike. Now, Nike, I understand in this country, uh, can be a bit of a lightning rod issue for some people. They've they've done things that have that have pissed people off. Uh, they've done other things that have you know people like their products. If for no other reason, they're they're forever associated with Michael Jordan and and his career. Um, and 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 like them or hate them, they're they're kind of like the kingpins of the sports apparel industry. And, you know, you could say the same thing about the dead as the kingpins of the, the, the jam band industry. And the fact that somehow somewhere along the way, somebody decided to mash these two together. Uh, and for our listeners who don't know, uh, Nike is going to be coming out with a very limited run of Grateful Dead inspired sneakers uh, that are going to have like uh, green fuzzy sides on them. And uh, the uh, the Shakedown Street dude. Uh, on the tongue at the top of the shoe. Uh, they look very cool, and I'm sure it would be a lot of fun to have at concerts. Uh, but my suspicion is they will be very difficult to get a pair, and they'll probably sell out relatively quickly. Although I did see a website the other day where somebody was supposedly giving out secrets to improve your chances on getting a pair of those shoes. Um, but boy, when, you know, how can you be a counterculture rock and roll band when all of a sudden, you know, one of the most mainstream uh, capitalist companies in the world is now producing <laughs> items with your name on it? And, and I don't mean that to say that to be disparaging to the dead. I just say it because it just cracks me up that here we are years later. Jerry's been dead for 20 years, for God's sakes. And they're so popular that today Nike wants to put them on a pair of their shoes. Yep. Well, I think that wraps it up for today. So, uh, yeah, let's see. I want to tell everybody out there who's listening to uh, please tell your friends and anyone else who might be interested in cannabis or this deadhead show. Both. If you want to check us out on social media, we're on Instagram at Deadhead Cannabis Show. And a quick shout out to our uh, uh, the new member of our team and our crack social media expert, Max Wellens, for throwing all of that together. Um, Max is a good person to reach out to if you have any interest in uh, advertising on our show or uh, um, contributing to it in any way, either as a guest or with topic ideas. Um, so uh, keep an eye out for Max as we go forward, and hopefully he's going to take us into the, uh, uh, the Internet age, Jim, a couple of old dinosaurs like us. All right, so this is Jim Marty signing off from Walmart, Colorado. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Larry, take us home. I will, Jim. Thank you again, as always. A pleasure to catch up with you. Uh, enjoy life in the barn. We'll try to enjoy life here in Illinois. And uh, to all of our listeners, have a great week. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Bye, everybody. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today, where guests take listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. 
Check out A Major Journey today on all major podcast platforms.